Now turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 16. In the last class we covered uh, verse number 12, 13, 14, and 15. We talked a little bit about Romans chapter 13 and what constitutes an ordained government from God. Sometimes men get away from God and God will set up over them wicked rulers. But that's for their judgment, not for their good. And so we talked about that a little bit. But today we're going to start in verse 16, which the subject changes just a little bit. It'd be wise for kings to know this as well. But we're switching over from the idea of government here for just a little bit. And in Proverbs 16, 16, it says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Now, he doesn't really give you the answer. He just says, How much better is it? Well, he didn't tell you how much better it was. And sometimes you would think, Well, man, I wish he would go ahead and tell us how much better it is. Is it a little better? Is it a lot better? Well, I think the answer is obvious, and I think it's implied rather than than stated. But how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? Really what he's saying is he's not really asking a question. You notice that there's no question mark in the verse. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? In other words, he's saying it is much better. And to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. He's saying it's much better. Wisdom's better than gold. Understanding's better than silver. The man that has wisdom and and understanding will have both. He'll have enough. And he'll do things wisely and he'll come out at the right spot. That's not to say, and when you read through the book of Proverbs, sometimes it looks like, well, if you do this and you do that, you'll be rich. And if you do this and you do that, you'll be poor. And... And that's a general truth. There's other things involved in life. You You might do the right things and you might get robbed. You might do the right things and you might get cheated. But keep doing the right things. Uh, You say, well, I was doing right and I would have had a lot of money, but I was cheated out of it. Well, keep doing right and you'll have the opportunity to regain what was given to you. And as we studied in the book of Romans and in verse 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, eventually a righteous judge will punish the evildoer and set things straight. We've always got that hope. Uh, Perhaps you'll live in a wicked day when God has set a wicked king over wicked men and perhaps you'll be persecuted and you'll do the right thing and you'll suffer for it. How are we to respond to that? The Bible says if we have wisdom, we have understanding, we do things right, we'll have the right results. But I've been doing things right and I keep, the government keeps oppressing me and, and taxing me to death and I can't get ahead. And what's to be said about that? Well, the Lord himself will return and be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But what's to happen if I'm in a place where I'm doing right and I'm being oppressed and I can't get ahead? Simon Peter tells us in the New Testament, count it all joy if you're suffering as a Christian. If you're doing right and you're suffering for it, you're not getting the outcome that nature requires because of some interference from persecution or wicked governments or something to that effect. Because some of your neighbors have cheated you or whatever the case. He says if you do right and you're persecuted, count it all joy. Now the verse is specifically talking about suffering for Christ's sake in regards to the gospel. But that same view is perfectly uh, relevant in this situation as well. It's better to be wise. It's better to, be, uh, it's better to have understanding. Because if all you have is gold and no wisdom, you'll lose the gold. 
If all you have is silver and you don't understand what to do with the silver, you're either going to blow it or somebody's going to cheat you out of it through your naivety or foolishness or whatever the case might be. But it's better to have the wisdom and it's better to have the understanding. Verse number 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. It's a, how do I know I'm on the right road? Are you departing from evil or are you heading to evil? I feel like I'm such a sinful man. If I was wiser, if I was more circumspect, I would see a lot of trouble that I get myself into because I don't feel like I'm a very wise man. Uh, some people, a few people have said, well, Brother Mike, you're doing a good job on this study of the Proverbs. Yeah, but looking at it and reading it and, and understanding what it is, understanding what it's saying is oftentimes a lot different than making the application to your life. I'm so sinful. I'm so weak. I'm so accustomed to pleasure. I'm so uh, in tune with pleasure. I, I want to eat steaks and drink Cokes and shrimp. And I mean, I, I'm not saying I have an abundance of money that I'm able to do that all the time. But what I'm saying is my flesh follows sinful things like every other man's flesh does and so how do i know i'm on the highway of the upright and the highway is not talking about the highway to heaven or the highway to hell he's talking about the road that you travel here walk worthy of the vocation well that's what he's talking about he says you sit in the seat of the scornful he said if you don't sit in the seat of the scornful and he said you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and you'll not be moved. Well, that's a physical, literal thing that's right here and now. It's harder to tear down a tree with deep roots than a tree with none. And so that's life. What he's talking about is life here. In the light, he says, so verse 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. Well, you, in life, one thing that will make you wise, and I'm so thankful that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says not many wise are called. When he's talking about preachers of the gospel, I'm an unwise preacher of the gospel. I feel like in my own mind, you may feel differently, but I feel like in my own mind, I have a good understanding of what the scripture says. But that can be a twofold thing. It can be a curse. If you understand, then it's required of you. And I'm so sinful and weak that I get myself into trouble by traveling on the, the highway of the, the unright, not the upright. And I get myself into trouble. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of Christ and for forgiveness of sins. I'm thankful for those things. I know that the wages of sin is death and I know that I will die because I'm a sinner. I don't believe I'll live to the rapture uh, even if the rapture were to come I believe if the rapture were to come in the next two weeks, I believe God would kill me before those two weeks were up. I believe that the Lord would let me die for those of you who can't stand thoughts like God killing somebody. But God would allow me to die if your sensitivities can't handle that. But in my own mind, I believe if the rapture was within the next two weeks, I believe God would kill me before that because I, I consider myself uh, an unright or a, a wicked man. I consider myself to be very faulty. And very sinful. And Paul said he was the chief of sinners. But he's not around anymore. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's in heaven and I'm here. And so I believe I have that role. But at any rate, not Paul's role. But the role of being the chief of sinners. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. And normally I go ahead and, and let evil. Which doesn't necessarily mean wickedness. Evil means anything that's bad. Uh, 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 an act of of foolishness can be evil but an act of foolishness might not be wicked 
I can spend money unwisely. That's evil. A headache is evil. That's what the, the Bible didn't say God created wickedness. It said he created evil. And so I, I believe I'm a very evil man. I don't believe I'm an upright man. I believe I'm, I'm getting better because of the scripture, not because of me. I'm getting better because of the blood of Christ and the patience of Christ, the long-suffering of Christ. The Lord's allowing me to learn things little by little. But, man, the wages of sin is death. I believe I'll die. I know I'm going to die eventually, but I believe I'll die before the rapture takes place. Lest the Lord give me a, a greater conversion. Now, I... I say these things, I don't mean them doctrinally speaking. I've been converted, and it's as converted as I'll, as I'll ever be. The conversion I speak of when I say that if the Lord will grant me a better conversion is the Romans chapter 12 sense that, that I'll be transformed better than I've been transformed so far. But that's my responsibility. If I'll get into the Word of God and do better and uh, try to learn better, the Lord is faithful uh, amen. The Lord's faithful not only to forgive us our sins, but the Lord's faithful uh, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. One of my biggest problems is I'm so evil and in many cases wicked that I don't take the way of escape. And I, I, I believe in this day and age, as in all ages, there's a lot of men who were like that. And I would uh, firmly put the finger in my own face before I put it in your face. And so there's that. So he says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. The more upright I become, and I have become more upright since the day I got saved. I'm more upright today than the day I got saved. But the more upright that I become, the more I will depart from evil. The more I try to make grace a license to sin, uh, there won't be much change in my life or yours the Bible says he that keepeth his way preserveth his soul so there's a preservation involved with that uh, with doing right and verse proverb the book of Proverbs is not teaching New Testament doctrine you understand so in the Old Testament he's definitely talking about preserving your soul and uh, my soul is saved completely right now my flesh is not is not uh, redeemed at this point. It's not regenerated at this point. My flesh is still on its way to the grave. But say, so how can I make the best of this life? Be upright. Learn more upright acts. Amen. Do do more righteous deeds. So my righteousness is a filthy rags. Yeah, but it's better than your wickednesses. So quit using those verses as an excuse to. Uh, keep sowing to the flesh. The Bible says you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Again, I'll emphasize it one more time. I've probably emphasized it at least 15 times already. And perhaps already, I don't remember everything I've went through in, the, in Proverbs 16. But 15 or 16 times, I've probably told you already, the theme of the book of Proverbs is not just wisdom and foolishness, but it is cause and effect. It's reap what you sow. It's cause and effect. And so that's what this verse is. Excuse me. That's what this verse is about as well. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Cause and effect. Pride goeth before destruction. That's a prophecy. That's the sense of the New Testament prophet. We're covering in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about prophets. And I gave an explanation of what a prophet is. 
But this is a foretelling. This verse in, in and of itself is a prophecy. And, and in, in this sense, it's in this sense that Solomon himself is a prophet. But he says, pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. I can prophesy. I can say with all certainty from the word of God. I can say, thus saith the Lord. I can say this to a proud man. You will be destroyed. Your life's not going to turn out right. You've got to get rid of the pride. You've got to get rid of the pride. You've got to get rid of the pride. Everything that pops up in your life in the course of your carnal life or in the course of your spiritual life, if it looks like pride, sounds like pride. See, a proud look is what God hates. If it looks like pride, if it sounds like pride, get rid of it. I feel, I feel uh, uh, very shaky, tremulous about saying stuff like I'm more upright than I was when I got saved. But that's a technical statement, you understand. I'm not sitting around thinking, boy, I sure am upright. I sure have got it made. I sure am a great preacher. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying there's a level of growth between the time I, I was saved until now. And there should be, and hopefully there will be. And I'm looking forward to, with great expectation, more growth in the future. That's a technical thing. But when, in, in the very plain sense of things, if it looks like pride, better get out of, better get away from it in your own life. Uh, you better get away from the proud look. Amen. You say, why? Because it, it goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. If you're proud, you're heading for destruction. A haughty spirit, you're going to be humbled. That fall is, is the talk of a humiliation. Haughty spirit before a fall. He's talking about you. people will have reason to look at you and see that you're not all that you're cracked up to be. You say, how do I avoid looking like a fool? Be humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. If God makes you look good, that's part of your glory. It's not part of God's glory. It's, it, it is a glorious thing that God would, would exalt men, but that's His glory. If God glorifies you in any way, shape, or form, if He gives you favor with God and men, if God allows other people to see uh, a good characteristic in you, praise the Lord. That's God's doing. But that you're to decrease and He's to increase. Amen. Uh, people can take that to extremes. I often hear the terminology, God hide me behind the cross. And that's kind of a fake piety because if they really wanted to hide, they could bow down behind the pulpit and preach without being seen. Hide me behind the cross is a false statement of piety. God never told us to hide behind the cross. He said, let our light so shine before men. Our light. Let your light so shine before men. Well, what are we doing by doing that? You're allowing people to see your good works. And when they see your good works, part of those good works will be you glorifying God. You preaching about God. You magnifying God. And they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what the verse says. Let your light so shine. Didn't tell you to hide behind the cross. He told you to pick up your cross. Amen. Pick up the cross and go forward for Christ. Let your light so shine before men. So, get rid of the pride. Get rid of the pride. A Christian walk is not a prideful walk. Of course, the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. And so this is a different aspect to look about pride. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. In the book of Jude in verse 3, he says that you should earnestly contend for the faith. He said you should have some contention when the, when in the sense of 
standing for the gospel, standing for the faith. The, the whole collection of our belief is what the faith is. So only by pride cometh contention. You should have contention for the faith. Jude verse 3. So you're not the pride that we have is not in ourselves. The pride that we have is in the Lord. Elijah said, I was jealous for your sake. What was it? He was proud of the Lord. He said, boy, I'm on the Lord's team here. And he was, boy, these people are doing it wrong, Lord. And he had some pride for the Lord's sake. And you can have pride for the Lord. Boy, I'm, I'm proud to be one of God's children. Not that I'm proud of me being his child. I'm proud that he's my father. I'm, prou I'm proud of being on his team like you're proud of your dad when you think he can beat up somebody else's dad. Amen. My dad can beat up your, my father, I should say. I don't want to use a disrespectful term in regards to the Lord. But my father can beat up your father. Uh, God is my father Jesus Christ is my relative I'm related to Christ amen and so I'm proud of that I'm proud of the Bible it's the greatest Bible that there is my Bible is the greatest Bible the one I have in my lap is better than yours <laughs> so well, we both have King James Bibles I don't care your Bible ain't doing a work in my life my Bible's doing a work in my life amen now I guess there is a sense in which you could say if the Lord teaches you something and you teach me your Bible might be working in my life I don't know I'm just trying to make the point right now that you can have some biblical pride but that pride, as far as the self is concerned, the Lord doesn't want any part of that. And you're about to fall. You're about to be humbled if you're proud of you. Boy, I sure can teach good. You're in trouble. Boy, did you hear what I told him the other night? You're in trouble. The question is not, the, 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 your question should not be to somebody else. Did you hear what I told them? That's the question you should be asking to the people you told. Did you hear what I'm saying? That's what the Lord said. Let him that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Not to go brag about what you said and what you did. All preachers do that. We've all done that. We're proud. That's why we get humbled all the time. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Then he says this, better, is it, better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Well, you mean it's better to be humble and lowly than to get riches with these proud people? Sure it is because proud, pride goeth before destruction. Those, that money is going to make itself wings and fly away. You can get with the proud people. You can get in the in crowd. You can be productive and you can be prosperous and you can get all the things that the world offers you for your participation in pride. But that, that not only is the pride going to come to nothing when you're humbled, but that reward, that gold and silver you receive uh, by popularity with the world is going to be done away with as well. You say, why? Pride goeth before destruction, Holy Spirit before the fall. Verse 18 and 19 says practically the same thing. Verse number 20, he that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. That's what that goes back with the verse 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Why is it better to be wise than rich? Because he that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. Didn't say necessarily that you'd be rich, but it said you'd find good. How you doing? I'm doing good. That, that, that'd be a good response I mean, how you doing well I'm real proud of myself well you're in trouble he that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, good and whoso trusteth in the Lord that's a man with understanding happy is he happy so how are you I'm rich 
well, how's things going? I'm miserable. Everybody's after me. Everybody just comes around me for their own benefit. Well, what do you think I should do? Well, I think you should humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Well, why would that be? Well, even if you're rich, you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You say, what will that produce? Happiness. He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Humble yourself, put your trust in the Lord. You'll be happy. What's the secret to, to, to happiness? It's not humility. It's humbling yourself to God. You can humble yourself in this world. Oh, I guess that guy's better at football than me. Or I guess he's a better politician than me. Or I guess he's a better mathematician than me. That's a source of humility. And I'm not saying it's a bad attitude. But what we're talking about for true happiness is humbling yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Whoso trusteth in the Lord, that's a man that doesn't trust himself. Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent. You say, why? Because wisdom is prudence. The wise in heart should be called prudence. Uh, just the man that can interpret the book of Proverbs, that doesn't necessarily make him prudent. Uh, it doesn't say the interpreter of a collection of Proverbs will be called prudent. He might be called a, a teacher. He might be called a pastor. He might be called a lot of things. But the, the, man's, the man whose understanding penetrates the flesh and blood issue of the matter and gets down into the heart so that his life is transformed. So, boy, he sure is prudent. Man, that's good. Yeah, but there's something behind prudence. It's true wisdom. It's a, it's a heart-experienced Christianity and a heart-experienced godliness that shows to the world, let your light so shine. One of your lights, your light is being saved, your light is prayer, your light is witness, your light is all those things. Your, that light can also be said to be prudence. The wise in heart shall be called prudent. By who? The men who see it. And the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Un uh, understanding is a wellspring of life, cause and effect, unto him that hath it. But the instruction of fools is folly. You're wasting your time if you're not going to let somebody teach you. The modern generation, you, you'll just listen in church. I'm not talking about listen to Hollywood. Of course, that's probably what helped Christians get to that point. They're more interested in Hollywood than they are their Bible. They're more interested in the movie theater and Thor and Spock and uh, Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. They're more interested in that stuff than they are the Bible, which is utter foolishness if that's the case with you. I didn't say you couldn't watch it or like it or anything like that. It's not going to help you much. It'll entertain you. That's for sure. It's entertaining. I'm not telling you what you can and can't do. I'm telling you, if those things interest you more than your Bible does, you're not going to come out on the right end of the stick. You're not going to get a wellspring of understanding. But the Bible tells us plainly, if you're not going to be instructed, you're just going to be a fool. And the Bible tells us the man that doesn't like instruction, he is a fool. Well, I wish I could really get through to him. Well, you can't get through to him. He's a fool. Well, if I could just make him understand. You can't make him understand. You say, well, because he's a fool. <laughs> he's not a fool because he won't have under, uh, because he won't listen to instruction. He, he won't listen to instruction because he is a fool. <laughs> it's, that, that, that thing, it, it's not, 
It's not the opposite of that. You think, well, if I could just get to him, then I could help him out. Not, you're not going to get to him because he is a fool. He is not going to listen to you because he is a fool. He'll need conversion first. There is hope for a fool if he'll be converted. And if he'll be converted, then God can do great things for him. But the modern generation, as I was about to say before, before I so rudely interrupted myself, the modern tone from the pulpit is, well, nobody can tell you what to do, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, and it's between me and God, and I ain't following no man. That's because you're an idiot. That's because you're a rebel. God, God, is your, God may be your father. You might be saved. But you haven't been led to the point yet where you understand how humble you ought to be in front of men of understanding. Amen? In front of men of understanding. Uh, God give you gifts. We talked about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Those pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists and teachers. God put them there for you to sit down under and shut up and listen to. This modern generation, well, it's between me and God and God's going to teach me. Yeah, but you fool, God's going to teach you with other men. Well, me and the Word of God, that's all I need. You're an idiot. The Word of God is supreme. I'm not taking one ounce of respect from the Word of God. But God sent you men to lead you in the Word of God. That's absolute truth. It's only when the Catholic Church and other denominations as well put, them, put themselves and their opinions over the doctrines of the Word of God that that thing become, uh, got misconstrued and twisted around. Now independent Baptists think that them and God and the Bible is the only thing that exists. Well, if that's the case, how come we keep coming up with different opinions? How come we keep coming up with different doctrines? Because you're a rebel, that's why. If you've got something to teach from the Word of God and it's true, teach me. If there's something that I, that I believe that's wrong, instruct me. I'm not more attached to my beliefs than I am the Bible, only in the sense that my beliefs come from the Bible. I love the fact that I believe eternal security. I love eternal security. I, I, I like the fact that I'm not a Calvinist. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. But if you can take the Bible and prove it, I'll change. I, I believe in trust in the King James Bible. If you can prove it different, do it. I'll change in a heartbeat. If God's right and you're right, I'm, I'll follow you. You don't believe it. Well, do it. And see, you sit down and give me the reason from the scripture and we'll compare that to the reason that I can give from the scripture. And if yours outweighs mine from the scripture, I'll follow you. I'll sit under you. I'll come to your house and let you teach me as long as, you, as long as you've got breath. You can talk to me five hours in a row if you want to. If you're teaching me, I'll follow you. You say, why? Because I'm trying not to be foolish. <laughs> The wise in heart should be called prudent. The sweetness of the lips increase understanding. Understanding is a wellspring of life, cause and effect, unto him that hath it. But the instruction of fools is folly. Don't be a rebel. A rebel's a fool. Folly's all you're going to get out of it. And I guarantee you, folly won't be worth an ounce of precious stones at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse number 23 The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth, the heart teaches the mouth. Out of the heart proceeds envy and murders. Well, it's the thing that comes out of the heart that defiles a man. The heart of the wise, what happens? He gets benefit from it. The thing that's in his heart benefits his whole body. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. 
Your brain, your intellect is not what decides whether you end up with the right doctrine or a false doctrine. The condition of your heart decides that. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Well, that learning, you think it's stored in your brain. That, that learning is based on the condition of your heart and whatever comes out of your lips is based on that. A fool is known by a multitude of words. Just let him talk. Just let her talk. You'll see what they are before too long. If they're a rebel, you'll know it. If they dishonor God, you'll know it. If they're a sexual pervert, you'll know it. Before long, they won't be preaching about nothing. If they're demon-possessed, you'll know it. Before long, they'll be preaching about nothing but, but fornication. They'll be preaching about nothing but demons. I mean, that, what's in a man's heart, you'll know it. You'll know it. I apologize for saying the word sexual because I don't normally use the word sex. I use the word fornication. Uh, I use, uh, well, enough of that. Let's move on. Don't want to make this any longer than it has to be. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and, add, and addeth learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. You can tell what's in a man's heart by how much bitterness he has. I, if the Lord instructs me to do it, I will preach a hard message. If the Lord instructs me to do it, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I will rebuke. It's better to be rebuked by a preacher than to be rebuked by the Lord. There's no question in my mind about that. I don't mind preaching rebuke. I don't, it's not my favorite thing to do, although it is one of the easiest things to do. It's easy to, to rebuke somebody. That's easy. That's easy as pie. And some guys, so they get bitter, and that's all they do is preach hard. The only thing they will ever do is preach hard. And I think that comes from bitterness in their own soul. They see or they believe that they've established something in their own life and they see somebody else that's, uh, that appears to be happy in the Lord. I'm not talking about whether they are or not. I don't care about any, any of that stuff at this point. I'm trying to teach a lesson. A man has gone through a rigorous discipleship and he sees somebody else that hasn't gone through that same rigorous discipleship and they're pretending to be a Christian in their own estimation. They're saying, well, they're just dependent. They're pretending on being Christians because they haven't been through the rigorous discipleship that I have. So that turns into bitterness. What that does is they're, uh, the apparent happiness of those who haven't been through your rigorous discipleship their apparent happiness voids all that rigorous discipleship that you went through. If they can be happy without going through that discipleship, I've wasted my time. How could it possibly be that such an one as I, in my infinite wisdom, could have wasted any of my time? Therefore, I'm going to get out. I'm going to preach the hell out of them. I'm going to rip their face off, and I'm going to tell them exactly what it is, and usually end up preaching nothing that's relevant to anybody in the congregation anyway. And if you got your eye on one person in the congregation, unless you're their pastor, if you're not their pastor, shut your mouth. If you are their pastor, uh, preach what, what needs to be preached. And if you're a preacher, that a, a layman that's a preacher that gets an opportunity to preach, preach the gospel. Why don't you preach the gospel? Because the gospel's not in your heart. Bitterness is in your heart. You might be saved. They might be saved. They might have legitimate problems. That might be sure. But why are you bitter over their legitimate problems?
dramatic pause there for you to deal with yourself and hopefully the Lord deal with you about it too. From to, I, as I said before, as I began to say, I don't mind preaching a rebuke. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the congregation. I'm not afraid of women. I'm not afraid of men. I'm not afraid of the government. I'm not afraid of queers. I'm not afraid of this whole sexual, uh, again, perverted, I should say perverted instead of sexual, uh, this whole perverted movement in this day and time. I'm not afraid of the gender blenders. I'm not afraid of any of that. When God tells me to preach on it, I'll preach on it. I say what needs to be said. But listen, I've got some pleasant words too. God spoke some pleasant words to my heart and soul. I know I escaped the darkness that is sin. I know that I escaped from the penalty of sin because of the sweetness of the words of the gospel. Amen. Paul wrote some weighty and rebuke-filled letters. And he said that sorrow was godly sorrow that caused them to repent. But I also know that there's another side to that, that coin and the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Some saved by fear pulling them out of the fire, some having compassion, making a difference. There's two sides to the coin. Where's your other side to the coin if you're always bitter and always mean and always preaching hard? Sometimes people need to be mean. Baptists are the only one that shoot their own. Some Baptists need to be shot. Don't have no problem with that. My problem is, is with people that have no pleasantness to them at all. People that have no joy at all. People that are not glad they're saved. Listen, if you're a sinful person, I'm glad you're saved. Otherwise, that sinfulness would land you in hell. You don't dress like you should. You say you're saved. You're a poor testimony to the Lord. But I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad you're saved. I wish you'd listen and pay more attention to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the preacher and, and look around at folks that are trying to do right and start trying to fit in with other people that, that have come before you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with fitting into these ladies from the 50s and 60s that wore nothing but dresses. What's wrong with them? Ain't nothing wrong with them. They don't have no cause for shame. They're not going to get 80 years old and look back on their 20-year-old life and say, boy, I wish I hadn't got naked at that concert. I wish I went and I went half naked to church every Sunday. They're never going to have to say that. What's wrong with them? We say, well, they think bad of me. Because you're ashamed. That's why they think bad of you. Sin lieth at the door. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? That's what God said to Cain. That's absolute truth. If you're doing right, you'll be accepted. If you're not, then you're a rebel. I don't mind preaching that to you at all. I believe that's 100% the truth. But I'm skeptical about preachers that always have a grimace. I'm skeptical about preachers whose every message is, is, uh, is uh, this two-edged sword cutting both ways. I'm skeptical about that. You say, why? Why, Brother Mike? Because pleasant words are as a honeycomb. You know what the honeycomb did for, for, uh, for, for Jonathan, don't you? You know what the honeycomb, excuse me, you, you know what the honeycomb, uh, yeah, Jonathan, I was thinking something else, something else crossed my mind. But Saul said nobody's going to eat. Nobody eats nothing. Saul, uh, his son, Jonathan, come along, uh, got a little honey out of the honeycomb, touched it to his lips, it lightened his eyes. Some of these people you're trying to get a point across to, they might get the point now that they're saved, they might get the point by pleasant words. Goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You say, well, that didn't work. Well, if you tried it, did you try it? 
Yes, I tried it, Brother Mike. Okay, then go ahead with the rebuke. But you can do without the bitterness. Amen? Amen. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the way of death. Well, that's a good, that's a weighty subject right there. Again, if I said, uh, who all in the building is wrong about anything, raise your hand. You're not going to raise your hand because you think you're right about everything. And if you did have that false piety and raise your hand and say, Brother Mike, I know I'm wrong about a lot of things. Okay, give me an example. And if you know you're wrong about it, why haven't you changed it? That shows the condition of your heart. You love your false ways and fallible ways. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a discussion you can't escape from. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Some things you're doing in your life is hurting you, not helping you. Get the light of the Word of God on it. The Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Get the thing situated. Let God help you. That's an earnest plea. Let God help you with these things. Let the Word of God work in you effectively. Change some of these things in your life. You're not perfect. Uh, you may have a measure of maturity, but you can do better. Amen? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Not always your own death. Uh, maybe you're doing something that causing somebody else to stumble. Causing things that you allow. But you think it's right. But it's actually wrong. You're allowing it and somebody else is picking it up from you. And they could go part of the way. They could go as far as you or they could go way further than you. Well, I only drink one drink a day. Well, congratulations on your, on your discipline. You, 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 if ten drinks make you drunk, you're, you're only taking one drink, you're one-tenth drunk. What about that son or that grandson that's going to become a drunkard? Lose his life because of his liver or lose his life in a car accident or take somebody else's life. You might think it's right to drink one drink a day. To hell with your one drink a day. Your one drink a day has caused millions and millions of, to go in and drink at, uh, to excess and, and to ruin lives and to take away lives. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, I try not to be dishonest, but I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, so I just tell little white lies and, and I, do, you know, I just uh, try to smooth things over. Your lies are going to embolden people to keep going the wrong way, preacher. Well, I believe the grace of God is what ought to be, uh, what ought to be exalted. And we ought to just talk about the grace of God. We ought not to judge one another and tell people they're wrong in doing this or that. That's for God to judge. God already judged it. God put it in His Word. God told you to preach the Word. And if you, while you're not hurting somebody's feelings, you're trying to exalt grace. Is that what you're trying to do? Grace for what? What do I need grace for? You need to answer that question in your heart while you're exalting grace. 
People are thinking they need that grace because they accidentally had slipped up and told a lie one time. They need grace because they're a dirty, rotten, deceitful maggot in the eyes of God and he's going to put them in a devil's hell if they don't get right from that wickedness. God's not asking them to repent because they told a white lie at one time or they stole something from their grandmother or because they might have slipped up and messed up one time. God's not telling them to repent over that. He's telling them to repent because they have the heart of a sinner the nature of an evil, wicked, and adulterous sinner. They have the heart of Adam, and Adam's heart is rejected in the sight of God. And if they die in that condition, they're going to die and go to hell. You need to tell them the truth. Amen. That's true. See the see the both sides of the coin from verse 24 and 25? Verse 24, pleasant words are as a honeycomb. Verse number 25, here's some pleasant words for you. You're wrong about some things. You need to get it right. If you don't, it's going to kill you. That's a balance. That's a balance. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's more than just rebuke. Some other things besides. It's more than just pleasant words. Some other things besides. He that laboreth, verse 26, laboreth for himself, for his mouth, craveth it of him. That is your biggest motivation for work right there your mouth is hungry your belly's hungry you have a need well, the labor of Christ is not so it's for it's labor for yourself and it's labor for the labors of others I would reference you to the teachings on Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 an ungodly man diggeth up evil and in his lips there is a burning fire I believe we'll leave that to the next time we're about 41 minutes there so we'll pick up the next time in verse number 27 verse 27 through 33 we can get into a whole lot of material so we'll leave it for next time God bless you and thank you for joining us today